This is but one of a thousand true crimes. and true crimes you're here with Chelsea. sorry i messed that up you're here with chelsea and joe <laughs> um yeah we are here we're here it's been a it's been a few days it's been yeah yeah we had some we had some stuff come up we had to deal with it but like i told you guys we are we are pushing through don't worry we got yeah. you guys covered so um but how are you doing? Life, man. Life. Ain't, ain't she fun? <laughs> Life's a bitch and then you die. Life's a bitch and then you die. And to that I say cheers with my children's vineyards Riesling. Very nice. I see you got these like little, those little fancy ice cubes in there. It's just metal ice cubes, yeah. It wasn't quite all the way chilled, so mm. you can't drink yes. a Riesling warm. No. It's gross. But this is actually a local vineyard. Um, It's a pretty good Riesling. It's 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 a little on this. And I know Rieslings are supposed to be sweet, but it's a little on the sweeter side for me than I generally prefer. But if you like a sweet wine and you like a white wine, the Childress Vineyards Riesling. um, Yeah, it's from North Carolina. It's a seller select. (laughs) Very nice. Getting fancy over there. I am back to drinking my um, Sauvignon Blancs. Classic. The dry, the dry yep. spell is over. So, <laughs> hey, I did pretty good. Did pretty good. Hey, I think we both did. We took a whole month off. I know. And I took even longer. That wasn't so, bad. Yeah, like two weeks. exactly. But. But still. No, no one's good. counting. <laughs> no. <laughs> but <laughs> for us. That's pretty good. Yeah. No, definitely. It was a nice so, break. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if you guys are, I mean, the people who are in the Facebook group already saw this, but I thought maybe we should like bring it up for like just a hot second mm-hmm. for people who maybe aren't paying super close attention about the bones. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell them since you found it? Um, yeah. Okay. So th- during a search for Susan Powell, they found some bones and it was sent for testing. I mean, this was a while ago. This is, you know, a few weeks ago. I haven't seen anything else come up about it. So I'm assuming it either hasn't gotten back or it was not her. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing that it's definitely I think they would have said if it wasn't her because they found like like she was wearing the right like the clothes that they found with the bones were the right kind of clothes. They were the right size. Mm-hmm. It was down one of those quarries or one of those whatever abandoned mine shaft things, which is where they speculated that her husband might have put her. Um, I mean, a lot of in the, the words, evidence. The circumstantial evidence is pointing towards mm-hmm. it, but mm-hmm. but we don't know. We, we don't know. know until it comes back. And, you know, they're hoping in a few weeks and not a few months, but COVID has really messed things up. So it slowed anyone, things down. Yeah. yeah even more than they were. If anyone hears anything or sees anything and hopefully the, the um, Cox family, I'm going to say Cox family because honestly, fuck the Powell family. Yeah. They Fuck suck. the Powells. Yes. Um, I hope that her family can find peace. 
Yep. So, and if you don't know about that case, go. We might end up doing that case, (laughs) but the ending just really rips my heart out, and I have not been able to get to that place where I can. No, it's so bad. Well, cold, right? Cold was a podcast that covered it pretty in depth. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some documentaries about it. Yeah, it's definitely out there. And yeah, most people it's, know about it's it, but so it's tragic. very sad. So well, tragic. brace yourselves if you listen to that one. Yes. The ending just mm, makes me so I mad. mean, I will preface this case by saying it's not that bad. It's not as bad as that. Say, what horrible truth do you have to tell us today? <laughs> so I am titling this book or this book. This I am book. titling this episode <laughs> the the bookmaker. Okay, I have to ask you a question. Do you know what a bookmaker is? I did not. Um, I want to say somebody that makes books, but I feel like that's probably not right. Correct. So I, when I was reading, like you know, because like when you're researching for an episode, you go through the documentaries, you kind of read the little blurb to try and see if it's like interesting or like mm-hmm. speaks to you or whatever. And so I read the blurb, and they were talking about this bookmaker, and I was like, "There's a man who makes books whose wife was murdered." No, a bookmaker is a bookie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm such an idiot. I got like halfway through the episode where I was like, oh. I mean, I feel, why can't they just call him a bookie? Because <laughs> I, I guess the technical term is a bookmaker. A bookie is slang. I don't know. I don't, okay. Well, I guess. But I did okay. crack myself up at the fact that I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun story about, like, a very interesting, probably very quiet, quaint man in, like, a cottage who, who like, rigorously, like, repairs the books and, and paints the spines and sews the pages together. And I'm no. like, oh, no. This person <laughs> That is sounds... not what a bookmaker is. No. Well, you know, a welcome to A Thousand True Crimes. If you didn't know what a bookmaker was yeah. or do ranch, you're, you're set to go now. Because check out I the Kelsey Barrett episode. <laughs> I had no idea, Chills. I I had, but everybody else knows. Everybody else in the world knows what a dude ranch is. Well, good news is okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> tell me about our um, non bookmaker, aka a bookie. What okay. things did I'm assuming he do? All right. Well, here we go. We'll find out. So the episode that I found was on the 1990s, The Deadliest Decade okay. on Hulu. And we are coming in to Texas in 1991. Okay. So it's a booming time economically for Texas. The oil industry is really starting to take off and explode. Enron was born. Um, and they were just doing really well economically as a state. And in the center of all this prosperity was Houston. I mean, there was tons of money in Houston. It was the place to live at the time. And the status in that community was shown by flaunting your wealth. Mm -hmm. The elites of this community did this part in part with an address in the River Oaks neighborhood. So if you had an address in River Oaks, you knew you made it. You were the shit. Yeah. Yeah. They would all be driving Teslas. 
essentially is what you're saying. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So Doris and Bob Angleton were these such elites. Um, River Oaks was a fairy tale destination for Doris, and it was provided to her by her husband, who would tell people that he achieved his wealth as a real estate investor. He owned a golf course, a tennis club, land in Colorado, and a bunch of other properties. The Ingletons had the best of the best in all the categories. Must be nice. <laughs> they are living a life that I can only dream about. Well, okay. If it was legal. Because I'm assuming yes. that a lot of that wealth was, came from illegal activity. Well. Well. <laughs> okay. uh, let's, let's find out. Um, so they're two, they had two twin daughters and they lived a life of privilege as well with a private education, horseback riding lessons, tennis lessons, all this to say they had money yeah. to burn. Yeah. Um, but Doris was the centerpiece of the family. I mean, this was kind of known. She was charismatic, outgoing, welcoming, cheerful, kind of like the perfect socialite wife. You know what I mean? Like she, everyone knew her. Everyone loved her. She was really good at like work in a room. Um, and everyone just felt comfortable around her. That's literally what like my goal, if I could have a job in life, that was just like any job in the world. I'm not going to lie. I Be would a socialite oh, wife? Fuck yes. <laughs> You'd be really good at it. I bet. Fuck yes. I would love that. Just, you know, I don't think I would really fit big well. fancy balls and like donate money because I have money to donate and like right? pretend <laughs> like I'm doing something great for the world. But in reality, all that money is probably pocketing all their other rich people, but it's fine. And like going I out just, for lunches, lunches, you know, have going to play tennis. Oh, I'm going to be like, <sighs> I mean, I had to, like, cancel my 9 a.m. with my trainer because my Botox appointment, like, It went over. It. It, run, and so, it ran late. This day is just messed up. God, no, the life. No offense to any socialites the out life. there. I'm just hating on you because I kind of want to be you. Yeah, we would love we would love to have so much money we never had to worry about anything. In fact, you can donate to us. Mm-hmm. We will. I will be your. And ch- you can be doing a good deed. Mm-hmm. And we'll be pocketing it. I will be your charity. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fine. I'll step up. I rescue a lot of animals. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so she and Bob had met in the early 80s. She was married at the time, but was like pursuing a divorce. So I don't think it was shady. I think that they had, I think that they were separated. I tried to Google. I couldn't find much information, but mm-hmm. I think that like she and her then husband were separated. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, but Bob kind of came in and just swept her off her feet. He took her to nice places, gave her nice gifts. And in 1982, they became husband and wife. Aww. Two years later, they welcomed the twins. And Doris's mother says that she was just thrilled. She was, like, so happy to be a mom. She was so excited that she was having twins. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just happy. Um, Bob was excited at the news as well, but he was always very focused on work. It, it kind of gives off, like, love language vibes. Like, his primary love language was gift giving. Okay. Um, Doris, tells, Doris would tell a joke where she would be like, I had to stop complimenting my friend's things because if he did, then he, Bob would just go out and buy it for her. 
Must, must be, be nice. nice. <laughs> so in 1991, Bob threw her this huge outlandish 40th birthday party. There were props. There were acts. There were acts like 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 there were people coming to perform, not like axes like that mm-hmm. you throw. Um, there were videographers, which in the 90s and 91, that's big deal. Um, it was the whole kit and caboodle. And it was it was a super kind gesture. However, there were questions and speculations about whether he was really doing it for her or if it was like for the social clout, kind of like a public display of wealth. Like, look what I can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more eyebrows were raised by the fact that Doris seemed a little off at the party. Like, she didn't quite seem her normal, like, effervescent self. So she even went so far as to express to some of her friends that things were not perfect in paradise. At the Bob party. Bob worked all the time. Yeah. And okay. I think also a little bit in general in life, you know. And while so Bob worked all the time and while he was very materialistically generous, he wasn't very emotionally available. And I'm guessing like her love language is probably she wants more of the emotional Right. Okay. Um, I think she appreciates the gifts, as anyone would, but I think she still wants that, like, you know, Mm -hmm. investment and that connection with her husband. So the two get some counseling to see if they can work things out. But by 1997, six years later, the rumors in the neighborhood start to spin that the two are going to get a divorce. Doris ends up confirming this to her mom, but tells her that it's amicable. Um, They're just going to split everything down the middle. Bob is going to stay in the house until the girls finish out their spring semester of that year. And then they're going to go their separate ways. And and from the outside, it definitely looked that way. Mm-hmm. Like they were just amicably separating and like it was going to be fine. So April 16th comes along. It's a warm spring day. You know how those spring days are in the Girl, South. They're about, about perfect. To get them. I know they're about as perfect as a day can be. Um, and Doris brings the girls to the, to the softball field. They're on a softball team and their dad's already there waiting for them because he's the coach of the team. And Bob asks Doris when she's dropping off the girls, if she'd be willing to run back the house to get him this new softball bat that he had forgotten. And she's like, oh, that's fine. I was going to run back anyways because I got to change my outfit. Um, so she wishes the girls and Bob Mm -hmm. farewell, telling them she'd be back in a little bit to watch their game. And this is the last time that they would see her alive. Okay, so quick, so time out. So Doris thinks everything is good. Like it's all. She feels like the divorce is going very amicably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's no concern, none of that. Like if something happens to me, you should look at this. Okay. It's okay. Okay. No, she genuinely feels like we're good. When they said 50-50, like, so he would have to pay her, like, and what is it called? Anemone? Uh, Alimony. Alimony, yeah. Alimony. Right. Uh, It didn't actually say whether they had discussed alimony. Uh, It could be possible that it was just going to, I mean, they had so much money, Charles. Like, it's possible that they were just going to do a 50-50 split call good, Mm -hmm. you know? Because like, I don't know how right. big, like, prenups were back in the 90s. They did not have a prenup. Okay. Okay. I know that. So, and what state are they in again? Texas. Okay. Texas. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know if they had laws set up yet about that. Because, like, I know California eventually set things up. I don't know. I don't think that they even even as we get into some of this, I don't think that I genuinely don't think that she felt like she needed any of that kind okay. of stuff. OK, I think she genuinely felt like it was going to be. And, and by all presentation to the public completely with this couple, I think that it seemed like it was a very amicable split. OK, I think. Um, but I didn't do tons of back research. I literally just looked at a few articles that said the same thing as the episode so um okay so of course during the game when the mom doesn't come back bob and the girls are wondering where she is bob is paging her calling her asking people if they talk to her if they're can if, like any of that stuff i mean it's the 90s and they're super rich so they did have like cell phones and car phones and stuff like that mm -hmm. but like zach morris it's not as loose, mm -hmm. you know, like it's it's not as accessible. So um, once the game ends, he and the girls rush home. This is verified. Like they left really fast to get home. And when they get there, Bob sees that the side door was a was a jar. It was mm -hmm. like open a little bit. And of course, his immediate concern is for the girls and their safety. So he's like shuffles them back in the car. He gets back in the car with them and he goes ahead and calls 911 from the car. The cops arrive on the scene and they're met by Bob, who goes running up to them, telling them, like, I know my wife is in there. Hurry, please go and see. Like, I, I don't want to bring the girls in here. Like, please go check. OK, I'm going <coughs> to go ahead and say it right now. Red flag. Noted. Because um, <laughs> there's so no the way in. in hell that my husband, if I was supposed to go get something. OK, would not even go in that house ex-husband at that point whatever they're technically yeah they were technically still together okay there's no way that my husband if i was like okay oh i'll go get your baseball bat whatever i'll be back and i don't show up and the damn door was ajar he would be like all right motherfucker in the house yeah in the house so i that's, agree that's a red flag number one you don't have to touch everything and I, like but uh, no yeah yeah even like when my husband passed away the mm -hmm. cops had to keep me out of the house. Like, I knew he was not alive in the yeah. house. Like, and I still was like, take me to him, please. And they were like, oh, no, girl. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so I agree. I agree. A little weird. A little but, weird. And the cops, the cops kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, they're like, we need to see what's going on. You yeah. know what I mean? So... The cop walks in and pretty immediately he realizes that he's kind of kicked a casing, a gun, mm. a bullet casing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take many more steps before he finds Doris's body in a pool of blood. And she was riddled with bullet holes. So not just. So. Right. So they come outside and tell Bob about the news. Um, he did seem really like shocked and broken up about it. Um, it didn't take long for the word to spread from neighborhood gossip to headlining news. Cause you know how, you know how the socialites like to gossip. Mm -hmm. And so the investigators kind of like immediately feel this pressure. So they kind of just get right to work. Um, upon examining the premises, they, they couldn't find any signs of forced entry. What they noticed that was interesting is that every single door in the house was unlocked. 
but every single window was locked and the alarm system was turned off. Additionally, so, you know, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Additionally, there was a safe upstairs with the door open, it wasn't locked, and cash still inside, and nothing else was missing from the home. So they're like, this okay, does it's not, not a robbery. seem like a robbery. And it's not a robbery if your body is like, it's not a robbery if your body is riddled with bullet holes. Riddled. Yeah, I think it was 13. Yeah. 13 no. shots. Because like majority of the time, if they, if you spook them, they're going to run out shooting. So that the chances of you getting hit 13 times is pretty damn times. small. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, additionally, on Doris's body, there was no sign of attack or assault other than the gunshots. So with all of this combined, the investigators pretty quickly were like, this is a hit. Mm -hmm. We don't know if it's professional or not, but this is an attack on Doris very specifically. Yes. So, of course, they question the husband, but he does have a super rigid alibi. He was at the softball game and tons of people saw him there. Um, and then mean so anything. They, they, they record this conversation. And so what is interesting is that he leaves out in the recording the fact that he asked her to run home for the bat. All he says to the police is she dropped the kids off and said she was going home to change. I found that interesting. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm, but you told her to go home to get the bat. And Whether she was changing or not, it just heard worked that. out. Right. The daughters heard that, right? I don't know. I don't know. It didn't say very specifically. Um, mm -hmm. Put a pin in that and let's talk about that at the end. OK. Actually, because that's a good point. Um, but the police do end up asking him, like, do you know anybody who may have done this? He asked them to turn off the tape. Oh, okay. so this. This is when we find out. That. He is a bookie. So he explains to the police that there might have been a hit on his wife that had something to do with his business. He was not just a real estate investor. He was a bookmaker, mm -hmm. which is just a bookie. <laughs> so historically, when we think of bookies, we kind of like picture this guy behind a little glass thing with bars in front of it, cigarettes sticking out of his lip, like... They'll beat you up if you don't pay your debts and I stuff like that. I always think of horse racing. <clears throat> right, right. Like, that's mm -hmm. what you imagine. And and that's actually not – by the time that not, the 90s came around, bookmaking had become more of a white-collar job. And Bob, in particular, he was described as a savant bookmaker. He was very good at it. Okay. Um, He kept everything very orderly, very organized in his business. He had a staff. He had a code of conduct that they had to abide by. Um, what the and wait? His staff had a code of conduct. A code of conduct. What the fuck was that? Oh, sorry. Don't knock on their doors at dinner time for my fucking money. Probably, yeah, probably. Our business hours have... are between eight and five. Like other than that, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, like yeah. You don't talk yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wear a suit and tie, show women up to work, shower. This is the 90s, right? So women had to wear heels and dresses and skirts, no pants Wear allowed. your heels and your pantsuit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he had a full code of conduct for his staff. Only um, one drink at lunch. 
That's all you can do. Don't smoke indoors. Oh, my <laughs> code of conduct. Yeah. Okay. He was very, like, as much by the book as you can be with an illegal activity. And it's worth noting, uh, gambling was illegal in Texas at the time. Um, it was kind of an easy way to scam the IRS out of thinking that he wasn't reporting his total profits when you combine that with real estate investment, right? Because, mm-hmm. like... You can you can cook those books so many different ways. Yeah. Um, and while like being in an illegal industry did come with risks, his method of dealing with debtors was simply just to cut them off. Like he didn't go after people. If you didn't pay your debts, then you just were never allowed to book with him ever again. You were blacklisted from him. And he was so popular in Texas in Houston at the time as a bookie that that was like kind of bad. That so was like, like he the didn't chase worst people down. thing. Right, exactly. Like, he oh, didn't no, chase no, people no. down. I'm not going to bust didn't your beat face people up. up or yeah. like set your car on fire. I just won't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can't sit with us. So if you just didn't give them the money, he just went and he was like, well, you can't book with me again. Bye. Exactly. Yep. That's how he would handle it. And you have to understand, he was handling between 20 and 40 million dollars a month wait i'm in the wrong damn job 20 <laughs> to 40 million dollars a month but then how much was that's what cut? he was handling well yeah exactly that's what he was handling it did not go into specifics about what his cut was but that's just what he was handling i need to know what the fuck he actually made per month I mean, he made enough to own a, te- a golf course, a tennis club, a property in Colorado, a house in the most exclusive neighborhood but did, in wait, Houston. Wait, wait, wait. Did he actually physically own that or was that yeah. actually legitimate real estate that he got? No, he owned the real estate. I think he just used real estate investment to launder the money. Okay. And that he was making. Leilani's making her appearance right now with her water. Of course. Yeah. Our unofficial mascot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You good dog? So, <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> so, a lot of their friends, they knew that he was a bookie. A lot of them would even like book with him. They just kind of weren't stressed about it because the way they saw it, they were like, it's a victimless crime. Like, they're just gambling, like, whatever. But, of course, because he was still in an illegal business, there were risks involved. It turns out. He tells the police when they're interviewing him that for the past 10 years, he had been Hmm, I'm pulling at you Mm -hmm. cooperating (laughs) with Houston Vice. Oh, oh, see, that's where he fucked up. So for people who don't know as quickly as Chelsea, most of you, I assume, do, but Yes. Essentially, what he would do is he would help Vice make cases against other bookies. Oh, okay. Was he like, you probably don't know, but I wonder if he was like, I'll help you so that we can get rid of all the other bookies and then y'all are just going to yes. leave me alone. Yes. Yes. So then they only yes. had one bookie That's- to worry about. <clears throat> I mean, he didn't like, uh, it, he didn't eliminate all the bookies. But he certainly eliminated competition by doing this. Yeah. Not and everybody one has of the cops, his code of conduct. I know. One of the cops, which I'm going to put in quote, like what he said, he said, quote, 
that's enough to piss a person off. And I was like, show enough is. Mm-hmm. If you're going to put a man in jail and then take his business, yeah, show enough is. So mm. this is what Bob was saying. This is why he had them turn off the recording because he was saying this might be associated with a motive. So the police start to investigate this angle. And through that investigation, they discover another secret. But this time, it's in Doris's life. She having an affair? So it it turns out Doris was popping, popping in the over 40 chat room that used to be so popular <laughs> back in the 90s. Her name was Doritos with a Z. Okay. All right. And everybody loved her in this chat room. (laughs) No, live live your life, girl. Live your early 90s life. And um, everybody loved her in the chat room. And she ended up getting to know this guy. And, you know, she did tell her friends about it. And her friends, they were good friends. They were like, I don't think this is a good idea. This isn't safe. You don't know this guy. Um, But they developed a relationship. And they did end up meeting a few times. And the two, they fell in love. That's just kind of. It was actually him. He was. It was actually him. He was a married man also in a marriage that was unhappy. Mm-hmm. And um, their connection is what ended up pushing her to go forward with the divorce. Okay. And the timelines do add up. So um, she writes a letter to Bob telling him everything that she's planning. She lets him know about this other man. She lets him know that she's ending the marriage and all this other stuff. And, um, yeah, so like I said, the timelines do add up Mm -hmm. to when she filed for divorce and when the rumors started and and all this other stuff. So to get a little more information about what might have been going on, the police start looking into the legal paperwork regarding the divorce. Um, they were able to confirm that Boris, that Boris, that that would be their couple name, Boris. (laughs) (laughs) They did confirm that Doris was the one who filed for divorce. They saw paperwork confirming that the two were going to split assets 50-50. But that's the legal assets. Mm. So we have to remember that Bob is not reporting his income to the IRS. And does she know what he really does? So, okay. So, it's hard to tell, right? Because we only have legal paperwork to go off of. It appears, just based off the legal paperwork, that when he signed the paperwork that said they're going to split everything 50-50, she was fine with it. But then she added another affidavit Um that basically said so so Doris knew that Bob had safety deposit boxes all around Houston where he kept cash and so she submitted an order that basically kind of like froze those boxes so he couldn't like take the cash out and move it elsewhere okay um and so they are kind of like trying to look into a little bit more about like what all is going on. But before they can dig into deeper, dig any deeper on like what that might have meant, they actually get a call from Doris's lover, this man. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Before I forget, because I yeah. would. Um, do we know what Bob's net worth was legally? Mm-mm. Okay. Again, 90s. Man, better record keeping, dudes. Come on. Let's go. 
But it like legally, he claimed that he what he in the paperwork what it said is that uh there was like three million dollars in the bank, so she'd get one point five million. Okay, he had so, way more than that. Okay, I he know, had way more than that. I know he did, but I'm just wondering what he legally the U.S. government thinks he has. So one point three, you said, or five? Uh, it would have been about three million for the two. One point five would have gone to her. Okay, hold on. I want to see what that would be today. Okay, check it out. Oh shit! <laughs> How much is it? Two. <laughs> Two million, uh, about two million, a little over two million. That's not, I mean, that's not bad. Oh, yeah. For us. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, her, I can't tell. Okay, change. I can't do math. Um, <laughs> I can't read numbers. It's, oh, wait, no, okay. One hundred and nineteen ninety one is worth, okay, sorry. Okay, take that whole part out. It okay. is two to about two million. It's like two million and sixty four dollars. Okay. Yeah, okay. I guess that's how you say that. It's like two dash zero six four dash two two nine. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, that's substantial. I mean, it's almost but a million certainly, more. It certainly was not half of his income. No. It okay. certainly was not. We got it. We got it. Okay, move on. So, so the lover calls. The lover calls. They were able to rule him out pretty quickly. He actually seems like really sad about okay. things. So they go back to digging through legal paperwork and they find an affidavit that was very interesting. Hmm. So it turns out that Doris had actually met with a tax attorney. He had advised Doris that Bob needed to disclose his actual income in order for the courts to be able to enforce the 50-50 division of assets. Yeah. So Doris told Bob he needed to, A, disclose his actual income to the government. B, don't disclose his income to the government, but actually give her half of his assets. Or she was going to turn him into the IRS. Oh, so she became a threat. Her code of conduct is, bitch, don't fuck with me. So the police say now Bob had a motive. Mm. So Man, if, you they know, bring this. Bob, you could have, like, I'm assuming Bob did this. Come, right, I'm going, come I'm on. Going right ahead. I'm jumping to that conclusion. Bob, you know what you say? You have a big glass of whiskey and you fucking sign option B. And you exactly. move on with your life. And you move the fuck on. You get divorced <sighs> ASAP so then Anything you make after that, she can't fucking it's touch. It's done. It's done. Exactly. You have billions of dollars. Like yeah. you'll be fine. If you you'll can't be fine. Live off of one point five million dollars in nineteen ninety one. You really need to check your fucking. You got a problem. You got a problem. Go to rehab. <laughs> Consider your choices, friend. Yes, Lord Bob. Yeah. Okay. So. They bring this up to Bob. They ask him about it. They're like, so we heard. We heard a rumor. Not really. They're like, no, we have this paperwork that yeah. documents that this is what happened. And he still sticks to his alibi. He's like, I wasn't there. I couldn't have done this. And reluctantly, he says that the person that he really thinks did this was his brother, Roger. 
which I just need to take a minute. His their parents named them Robert and Roger. Ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> that'd be like why do people do that to Sherry and Barry like stop it stop it oh my I'm glad gosh. he went by Bob well he probably fucking had so, to exactly exactly <laughs> like <laughs> he didn't have a choice so we learned that the, the two had not spoken since 1993. Prior to 1993, the two had worked together in the bookmaking business until Bob fired him for incompetence. And when did she die? After which she died in 97. Oh. 96. I'm sorry. 96. She died in 96. Then wait. I want to update this pay. Okay. From 1996, from their divorce... It would have equaled to about 1.7. No, no. It was 97. It was 97. I was right. Okay. I thought. <coughs> sorry. I thought they got divorced in 97. Still. One. Still, though. Yeah, 1.7. So, I mean. Plenty. You're fine. Yeah. Invest it wisely in some real estate. You'll be fine. So, after he was fired, he moved out. To, right? Exactly. After. Bob fired him. Robert moved out to L.A. And then the two just remained estranged after that. But Bob does tell the police that early in 1997, earlier that year, I think it was January. They didn't say specifically. He had actually gotten a letter from Roger demanding money or he was going to make Bob hurt in a way that he couldn't forget. And does Bob have the letter? Yes, he has okay. a letter. He shows it to the police. Uh, Robert wanted $200,000. At the time, Bob didn't take it very seriously. But, of course, now he's like, I don't know, maybe not. And the police agree. They're like, no, this looks like a threat. So they're going to try and track Roger down, which proved to be very challenging. Until one day at the Houston airport, the police get a call. And they say that a white male who had purchased a one-way ticket to California had gone through security and, you know, like the x-rays when they do your Mm -hmm. bag, Mm -hmm. they saw that he had two handguns in his bag. And so they tried to get his attention to be like, sir, these cannot go on the plane because, listen, 1991 or the 90s were crazy, but they weren't that crazy. They didn't let people just get on planes with guns. And when they tried to, to get his attention, he fled and he disappeared into the crowd. Okay. But he left the suitcase behind. Idiot. So the police came and saw what, what came to see what was going on. And they examined the guns. They were able to determine that neither of them were the right caliber to be the murder weapon. But they found something very interesting also in the bag. They found this notebook that had... Detailed, detailed, detailed reports on the Angleton family. How to enter their home. How to disarm the security. A schedule of the day, like what the family schedule was the day that Doris died. When to commit the murder. How to commit the murder. All this information. It was like a how to murder book. Okay. How to murder Doris book. Yeah. That they found. Essentially. 
So the police see this and they're like, oh, shit. And they send a picture of Roger to the airport to see if it was the same man. And they confirmed that that was the man who had Bob had the suitcase. Bob and Roger. They were in cahoots. Robert and Roger. So three weeks later, after they're, you know, getting some information, they decide they're going to fly out to California to talk to Roger's girlfriend. Mm hmm. She wasn't super helpful, but they did get a warrant to search her phone records, and they find an odd phone number in there, so they call it, and it goes to a Las Vegas jail. The detective asks the jail, are you holding Roger at your jail? And they're like, yes, indeed we are. He apparently had tried to use a fake ID in Nevada, and when they found him to arrest him in his hotel room, they found what they called a treasure trove of evidence that seemed to prove he had committed a murder in Texas. That's what the Nevada people told the detectives. Okay. <laughs> I'm confused by that statement. So they just like walked in and like, oh, Texas, for sure. Yeah, because there was money. There was a map of the house, like like where okay specifically there was a, a tape like a, a gather round children back in the olden days before we had digital media we would record things on a small rectangular device we call a cassette tape mm-hmm. um and um like tickets uh there was like a gold there were gold cufflinks like like just lots of things that Whatever, like, the collection was, it made the people in Nevada think that he had committed a murder in Texas. So they just, like, arrested him? Like, you're suspicious as fuck, so we're just arresting you. Oh, no, you said fake ID. No, they arrested him. Yeah, they arrested him because he tried to use a fake ID. I don't remember if it was because, like, for gambling or if he was trying to rent a car they or something. probably would have, like, to use let him ID. go back then. Yeah. But because yeah. they, like, walked in, they go, mmm. Yeah, so exactly. Suspicious. What the fuck, here. dude? So we're gonna just we're just gonna take you in for a little bit. Come on, it'll, it'll be fine. Just, it'll be fine. Just go with us. Just don't worry about us. it. No worries. We got we got food. Don't worry. Don't worry. You don't need a lawyer. This is just a quick chat. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Always need a lawyer. So, so the detectives are off to Nevada. They're like, all right, let's go talk to Roger. But. In the meantime, while they're in, in in transit, they listen to the tape that the Vegas police had confiscated from the hotel room that Roger's staying in. On this tape, there are voices of two men, like, confirming and verifying the details of Doris's murder. I wanted to play it for you guys, but it was really broken up on the episode, and I, I dug really deep, but I couldn't find a transcript of the copy. But essentially, it's stuff like, all right, we're going to do it today. Yeah, well, this is the alarm code. There's a chance she could be upstairs, so I would try not to go upstairs, but if she is upstairs, you can go upstairs. And, yeah, when she comes in, just shoot her. Like, it was it was like these two people were talking about the murder of Doris. Mm-hmm. Like, they have, it was planned. It was happening. They had, were discussing it. So they're pretty sure that one of the voices that they hear on the recording is Roger. It sounds like him. It's pretty clear. And whoever – but whoever the other voice is – they know a lot of intimate things about the Angleton home. Stuff that makes the detectives think it has to be a resident. Like mm-hmm. alarm codes, which door to go in, which door to go out. Like Doris's patterns. Like if she's changing, she might go upstairs. So you might have to go upstairs. Like yeah. stuff like this. Like, And so basically they, they are like, this must be Bob. 
Like, I mm-hmm. think Bob and his brother were in cahoots to kill his wife. So <clears throat> at this point, they decide that they're going to go to work to try and tie some of the items from Roger's hotel room to Bob. And in the process, they find two fingerprints. Um, remember how they found money in the room? Mm-hmm. On the, like, the, you know, the little thin wrapper that goes around the middle of money when you yeah. get it from a bank. They found his fingerprint on one of those, and they found his fingerprint on the tape. Mm. So, on August 1st, 1997, charges are brought against Bob and Roger. Why did they tape that conversation? I would, I wonder if it was like, they, I wonder, what I wonder is if they both had a copy so that if the either one tried to turn on the other, they both had the evidence to like prove the other person was involved. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Kind of that say, like, if I you go down, I'm taking you down with me. No, or maybe Bob didn't know that Roger was like, "Fuck you, I'm gonna record this." No, because Bob maybe finger, you said Bob's fingerprint was on the tape. His right? fingerprint was on the tape. Yeah. I would wager it was a security thing. It was like, okay. if you take me down, I'm going to take you down. And if I take you down, you're going to take me down kind of a thing. So, like, Why they both had the Bob evidence bring about up each his other. Brother? Just wait. Okay. We're actually, I have some thoughts about this as well. So, August 1st, 1997, it, the charges are brought. Bob and Roger are both arrested. The biggest issue that they have was the tape because there's no actual name set on the tape. So it could arguably be hearsay that mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. Bob on there. So they decide to go to Roger and present him with a deal. They tell him, tell us what you can about Bob. We'll give you a lighter sentence and we'll, we'll be able to convict him. And so he agrees. He says, okay, I'll do that. But two days before they were supposed to meet with him to get a statement, he was found dead in his jail room by suicide suicide or by a bookie working for bob no it was suicide he had uh used a disposable razor to cut his throat and wrists that is like okay real aggressive damn he left it he left a note behind and in the note he basically took all the blame and exonerated his brother he said his brother had nothing to do with it then why won't you just go on the stand and say that? <laughs> I feel like there had to have been some sort of somehow Bob was controlling his brother. I don't know how. As Roger but somehow the brother. It didn't say. And we don't know their earlier life. Like childhood. Not really. No. Okay. Cause I wonder But if, something's like, off, right? Yeah. And like I know that sometimes if like, you don't know the relationship of their childhood if there was abuse. And, like, Roger might have seen Bob as, like, a security, a safety place. And Bob yeah. took advantage of that. Because, I mean, or even he could Bob be the younger brother. conduct and <laughs> everything. I mean, he ain't doing everything right. So. No. Or Bob could be the younger brother and Roger is just, like, hyper-protective. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like he's like, oh, I'm going to protect my little brother at all costs. I don't know. But something is weird there. No offense to my brother. Okay, first off, I would never, like, do this. But if I was, like, innocent, I would sell my brother out and my sister real quick. 
<laughs> like, if I it was jail, this shit. if it was prison, right? Hell yes. <laughs> Sorry. Like, no. Don't ask I me to commit you, a crime no. with you because I will no. sell your ass out real fucking quick. Real quick. <laughs> I'm out. Thank you so much. If you even ask me to do a crime, I'll probably go to the cops. And then I'll go to the cops. Like, just keep an eye. Keep an eye. I was like, I'm letting you know right now that shit's going down. So it doesn't matter who you are. Be aware. Okay. Just watch that area. I don't know if you can park an undercover in front of their house. I was like, do you need me to record on my cell phone? Like, what can I do? I can't. I can't. It's fine. I'll wear a wire. That's cool. Just like get me out of this situation ASAP. Thank you so much. I don't want to be involved. I don't. I just want to drink my wine and pretend and be a couch investigator. That's my life. That's right. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all we got. That's That's all all I got. got. Okay. So So, anyways. So investigators still though are like, no, we think Bob was involved in this. Like we think that he gave Roger the ability to be able to commit this murder. So they decide they're going to take him to trial. So on July 28th of 1998, Bob's trial begins. The prosecution's biggest piece of evidence, now that Roger can't provide any testimony, is the tape. So they bring in an expert to talk about what he and they are hearing to try and convey. That like, yes, this could be Bob. This could be this. This could be that. But in a weird twist... The expert tells the jury that he's 80% certain that the other voice on the recording is not Bob. Uh, Well, prosecution, you did not do your job. You didn't vet your expert. Yeah. I also have to wonder, like, he does run in illegal circles, and I just wonder how much money it would take for a expert tape analyst to say something that they don't believe. That's all. Just wonder how much money that would take. And I'm sure Bob runs and knows people that aren't as professional as him. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, the defense was thrilled by this. The defense was like, great, you just did our job for us. And they come through at the end with their final power play, which is calling Doris's and Bob's daughters to the stand to also confirm that the voice that they were hearing was not their father's. They do. And they also reiterate that their father could have never been involved with this. He would never have hurt their mother because he loved her too much. Mm. I don't believe that. That's I my don't, opinion. I don't like putting kids on the stand just in general. No, like, I don't especially like against it. their parents like that. And like, and they look so little. Like, just watching them, like, they just looked so little. I mean, they're not, I think they were like 12 or 13, which that is, is young, little. But like, they look so little. It's like, this is not cool. Like, and they're having to listen to these. Even if one of them, <clears throat> let's just pretend, even if one of them is not their dad, they still have to listen to their uncle and another man talking about murdering their mom. Like, I don't know. I didn't yeah, like it. Yeah, and like, I feel like your brain is like, it, even if you're like, shit, that is, like, I feel like your brain is going to protect you because that's a, f- like, I would break down. Because your mom is dead and you don't want your only other parent to go to jail. And be the one that did it? exactly like yeah i just didn't i thought that was in poor taste i thought that was in poor taste of the defense and also like a father right like i just can't fathom my father ever asking me to do something like that like i can't i mean i might do it if i thought my dad was innocent but i can't imagine my dad ever allowing me to be a part of that and i understand why the defense did it i get why they did it 
Well, I don't agree with it. It show enough worked because on August 12th, 1998, Robert Angleton is found not guilty. Okay. Bob himself says to the press that he was shocked. Sir, do you want me to, do you have something to say? That was my exact reaction when I saw it. I was like, sir. Is there something you want to tell? That's not what you say. Do you want to pull an OJ Simpson and write a book about if you didn't kill your wife? Yeah, exactly. What you say is, I'm glad justice was served. You don't say to the press, oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Why are you shocked? Yeah. Why are you shocked? So wait, did he not go to jail? Did he? Was he just? Is he off? He was acquitted. He was never. He was found not guilty for the murder of Darley or Darley, of um, damn it, what's her name? Doris. Doris Angleton. Now, in two thousand five, he was convicted of passport fraud and tax evasion, and he did serve seven years in prison. However, he has since been released. And it is now believed that he resides somewhere in Europe. Okay. Doris's mom firmly believes that Bob was the other voice on the recording. Damn. I didn't see it going that way. I mean, we have said it. In I know. My opinion, I know, girl. I feel like he has a lot more involved in this case. Um, he was the other voice. I know. He I had don't know. That's my opinion, but yeah, like right. Mm. We don't know, right? We don't know. It had to have been. It had to Damn. Have been. And I'm he assuming he did not get convicted in Europe. Dang. And it's and only believed. It is believed. Did they convict? They don't know. Is her case closed? And it says like Roger is the one. I think that I mean they're definitely like I mean. I, you can't convict a dead man, but like, yes, they Roger confessed. And in his uh, letter that he left, he basically took all the responsibility and was like, I did this. I wanted to. But hurt then my brother. he didn't like, name the other person. Why wouldn't he name the other person? Because the other person was Bob. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because think... if I was going to kill myself and it was like a like, I'd be like, I'm about mm-hmm. to sell everybody out. Every single one of you bitches. <laughs> Unless or you nobody, have... you know, like I wouldn't go out of my way to exonerate somebody, you know, I like maybe just not yeah. say anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Damn. So, no, nobody has ever been convicted with the exception of Roger, who is now dead of her murder. Dang. Well, that I re- yeah, so that I is mean... the case of the bookmaker. He went. Mm. He did it. He he did it. She did not comply with his code of conduct rules for a wife. He was like, girl, you do not come up with me with three different options. I know when I saw that. So I like watching the episode. I was like the same way. I was like, I mean, it looks like Bob could be involved, but also maybe he's not. But then the second that I saw that she had gotten the paperwork where she was like, either you give me half of what you have. You disclose what you have to the courts or I'm turning in the IRS. I was like, he did it. Yeah, right there. He was. Like, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Fuck this. <laughs> like this. She called you out. And instead of being like, God damn it. 
here. Fine. Yeah. Mm. And like we said, moving the fuck on with your life. Yeah. Just move on. And then you know what? Like move to Europe and go do your code of conduct over there. I don't fucking know what to tell you. It's fine. Nobody's going to have a problem. And he still, I mean, he still got caught for tax evasion and passport fraud. I mean, he got caught. And I mean, he did serve seven years, which like is really short. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, that's justice. But I, I have a feeling that, let's see, 2005, he was exonerated, not exonerated. He was acquitted in 98. So that's seven years later. I have a feeling that the IRS was keeping an eye on him. Oh, 100%. trying to catch him however they could. Yeah. 100%. I bet they were like, bitch, we know you did this. And because we can't get you on this, we're going to find something else. We're going to find because something you're gonna else. Slip the fuck up and we're going to come after you. Because if there's one thing. The U.S. does not allow. If you don't fuck with their money. Pay your damn taxes. taxes. <laughs> you fuck with their money, you're done. But a lot of the detectives on the case were really like, they were like, like a lot of them just, it was like unspoken. They were like, we know it was Bob. Like, we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know it was Oh, him. I would like, see. He was I couldn't the other do person that because I would just flip out. I couldn't I either. So I couldn't do it. I could I could not be a cop or a detective i because if i knew someone was guilty and they got off i would be like i would i'd go i'm coming for you i'm i don't care how or where you go i'm coming for you if that speed limit is 25 and you go 26 bitch you better be ready i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you i'm gonna write you the biggest ticket tickets for days days for days days (laughs) for the rest of your life you pay off a ticket i'm gonna write you another one you pay off that ticket I'm going to write, write you another, you another one. <laughs> you're going to do something. I'm coming after you. Oh What'd you goodness. do? Oh, I don't know. Your taillight's out. Smash. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, that's an abuse of power. We yeah. can't do that. Um, But I do think that they were watching him and they were trying to get him on what they could. And I think that's why he ultimately fled the country because that's what they believe is because he realized that if he had stuck around, eyes were on him always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just feel bad for their kids. Like, can you imagine as like because they were very little right at the time. And then as they become adults. Comprehending the things differently, the gravity of Mm -hmm. what might have happened in their home. And then like just like how do you. Like, how do you how do you process something like that? Maybe my dad did kill my mom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I hope they're doing okay. But yeah, that's the case of the book, the bookmaker. And Mm -hmm. I learned a new word again. Me too. Thank you for that. I was over here thinking we were going to be in some country little cottage with some sweet old man who's using paste to make books. (laughs) And And what? Someone got pissed off because he glued two pages together. So they killed his wife. Like, what the hell? That's why I watched it. I was like, (laughs) what the fuck happened? with this bookmaker <laughs> that caused his wife to get murdered now i know he was a bookie if i had known he was a bookie i would have been like oh well of course his wife got murdered not like of course like they should but like he's doing illegal shit yeah. somebody was pissed <laughs> dang wow but girl on that what's your super weekly? downer yeah let's bring it back up um hmm I actually have, I don't know, is it like a good weekly win to just be like, 
I'm getting to the place in my grief where, like, when I have memories of my husband, they make me smile and they make me yes. happy and they don't make me cry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> One Listen, it's been almost a year. Percent. And I'm finally yes. at this place where, like, I'll hear things that remind me of him and they make me smile or I'll think of things and, like, just makes me happy instead of, like, making me cry. So I think yes. that's my weekly win. 100% yes. That is probably the best weekly win you've said in this past year. Yeah. <laughs> For a whole year. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it. All right. What's yours? Um, It's been a rough few days, so I'm honestly be – it. I'm just here. Yes. Amen, girl. It's just here, you know? Amen. Hey – can we like cheers to that we are both drinking a glass of wine? Yeah, there's my weekly win. I'm drinking wine. <laughs> done. Ow. Cheers to that. Yes. Um, um we're not actually in the same space, so we can't actually cheers. But it's fine. We'll pretend. All right. Well, if you guys are loving what you hear, I'm gonna do a little housekeeping. Um, hop into our Facebook group. I would argue that that's probably our more active, uh, venue. So if mm -hmm. you want to like actually like be involved and see stuff that's going on, hop into our Facebook group. So that's a thousand true crimes podcast discussion group. Um, and that's where we post like our fun little true crime updates or like if we see any breaking news, we'll share it in the group and we post like all that information. But if all you want to do is have a reminder about when our episodes drop and see a picture of the person who is involved in that case, you can find us on Instagram at a thousand true crimes pod. And y'all brace yourselves because I think we're going to have some new cover art coming your way in the next couple months here. Yeah. It's actually pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. That's all we're going to say. <laughs> yes. We got to keep it. Mm -hmm. Got to keep it a little bit quiet. All right. Well, I think that's all I got for you guys this week. Um, your new word for the week is bookmaking. Mm -hmm. That is a bookie. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, until next week, y'all. Thanks for Thanks for dealing with our day late drop. We'll be back next Wednesday. We're not going to be back next Thursday. So uh, we'll talk to you guys next Wednesday. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.